right, everybody, I think we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Pokemon Masterclass. Today is a special episode because we have our first female guest joining us on the podcast today. So please help me in welcoming to the podcast the one and only Pokey Chloe. Chloe, how are you doing? Everyone. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for asking me to be here as well. I am very, very excited about this. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, like I said uh, before the podcast started, I've been keeping tabs on you since you started earlier this year. You've yeah. had a tremendous amount of growth on YouTube and all of your other social media platforms. And I think that's a, a true testament to the quality of the content that you put out there and uh, just the the new experience that you bring to the Pokemon hobby. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's grown a lot quicker, like I said to you just before we started, a lot quicker than I ever thought it would, planned for it to. And like I said, I'm kind of just going with the flow at the moment, enjoying myself. And yeah, I'm having a good time, which I think contributes a lot towards it. Because if you don't enjoy something, it comes across like you don't enjoy it. So I mm -hmm. think it helps. I actually like what I'm doing. And uh, I hope everyone who watches me does as well. So how did this all start for you? Your experience with Pokemon, with trading card games. Let's Before we start jumping into the core of the conversation, I'd like to get to know a little bit more about you and, and maybe the audience as well for those that maybe aren't familiar with you or haven't checked out your channel, get a little bit of yeah. background. So where where did it all start? Where, where did um, the, the beginnings of Pokey Chloe begin? I mean, well, Pokey Chloe, obviously, I got back into the whole Pokemon. I've, I'm only into Pokemon. I know there are lots of other um, TCGs out there, um, but as a child, it was Pokemon. That's what I collected as a kid. Um, obviously, collected for a few years. We call it primary school. I think you guys call it elementary school. Mm -hmm. So while I was in primary school, that sort of age, that's when, you know, base jungle fossil came out. That was kind of the childhood thing um, when I was younger. That's what started it off obviously grew out of it as I sort of got older and then got back into it as an adult, probably properly a few years ago now. Um, but I didn't have a social media or like, you know, YouTube has only started this year. It was something that I just did as a hobby. My husband's into it as well. Um, so it wasn't something I put out anywhere. And then when I started the Instagram, that's when things kind of took off. That's when Pokey Chloe was born, I suppose. But yeah, that's where it started for me. It was a childhood thing. Um, and then as I got like literally a few years ago, got back into it as an adult again. Mm -hmm. well, it's so interesting because it's a very similar experience to myself where I was into Pokemon as most of us were, you know, around our age group in the, yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s, and then took quite a long hiatus from it. And then in early 2016, got back into the hobby right around the time that Pokemon Go was coming out and started yeah. getting more into the financial and investment aspects of Pokemon and, and older vintage products. And uh, it took me a long time. It took me years to finally... I suppose maybe have the courage or maybe the willingness to start a YouTube channel and to kind of broadcast myself through social media, through my experiences that I've had and and everything like that. Because prior to that, I was uh, I, I I was pretty pretty obscure when it came to uh, social media, and it's always it's all there's always a little trepidation there, putting yourself out there into the the ether of YouTube or just social media in general. 
And yeah. uh, so it sounds like you kind of came from similar beginnings. Yeah. I mean, I've always had obviously like a, you know, personal social media, but I've never had, you know, like a big, nothing like what I've got now with the Pokemon stuff. And like you say, it was the initial, I didn't even think anyone would want to see or follow, or, you know, I didn't realize how many people use social media to showcase their collection. Mm-hmm. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I watched a lot of the big YouTubers. I obviously know they existed and were out there, but I kind of didn't realize the other community, like especially on Instagram. And that's where I obviously started posting initially. Um, So yeah, it's kind of crazy to realize how many people there were there and then getting involved has kind of just expanded it basically for me. Well, and you've got such a strong community behind you. I've uh, joined into a few of your box breaks before and uh, you definitely have a tried and true community behind you. And as I said before, I think that's just a testament to uh, you as a person and, and what you bring to the hobby. Uh, what uh, I'm interested what you refer to your community. Is it the Chloe clan? Do you have a name um, for them? <laughs> so we've, we've never really had an official word, but um, they were talking about the Chloe cult, but that sounds a little bit uh, a little bit dodgy. But yeah, no, that's the only one we've kind of, um, we've come to, because I know Omash has like Omash Nation mm-hmm. and um, a few of the others have their own things, but we kind of haven't, like I said, it's grown so quickly. We kind of haven't even got to that point yet of naming everyone, but I can see a few of them in the uh, the chat this evening. And I definitely have the people that, um, obviously I appreciate everyone who subscribes and follows my channel, but I've had people literally from, you know, the very first video I posted where I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? No one's going to watch this. Um, and a few of them are still around today. So mm-hmm. it is nice to see the ones that have sort of stuck through it as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, And that's the wonderful thing about building a community, especially um, on YouTube, is that much in the same manner as yourself, I've had folks who have been my initial 50 subscribers who are still around, still comment on every single video. And it's just, it's yeah. amazing that people, one, actually want to look at me or actually listen to me that <laughs> often, which is, you know, that's a, that's a true testament to all of you out there. <laughs> Um, you know, Chloe is obviously a, a much easier on the eyes to look at than myself. So I'll give you guys that. But it's just, it's great. It's great to be able to build a community like that, have like-minded people that you can bounce things off of and who really are are also interested in your best interest as well. Yeah, um, I've been really lucky, um, especially with the people that watch and follow my channel. Like I said, the ones who have been there sort of a long time and even the ones who have joined in recently, everyone is very welcoming and good to each other and there's a lot of people who do like giveaways to each other all the time there's just a lot of like um involvement everyone Mm -hmm. wants to involve Mm -hmm. each other um and it's just a nice feeling which i think people enjoy a bit more watching that there's that community feel and it's not just me sitting there opening and sort of Mm -hmm. not participating with the chat Mm -hmm. um because sometimes there is a lot going on but i i really appreciate how good everyone is to each other and I think the whole community feel is what, again, draws people in. It's not just necessarily the con- I know that sounds crazy because obviously they're there to watch the video. But I think that feeling involved as well, I think that's what um, draws and keeps people, um, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, and I think that's a, you know, that's a kind of a, a microcosm of the Pokemon hobby as a whole, where we have this this hobby, we have this common interest that we can all rally around. And then beyond that, you have these little sections of the hobby, your content creators or other you know, big collectors or people that you can kind of rally around and that kind of speak to you as a, yeah. as a collector or for your particular uh, niche within the hobby. 
yeah um yeah and I, I i you know i've done a real variation on my channel so i have done you know the watsy and the maybe more vintage stuff but then i also do modern and i like to keep it varied so that people who have an interest maybe in one thing and not the other still feel like there's something for them mm -hmm. and i'm not just sort of narrowing it to one area and sort of not including everyone else type thing i just like to keep it as open as possible for everyone really mm -hmm. which i think is maybe what's helped with the growth of the channel i don't really know people ask me all the time well, how have you started the channel at the beginning of the year and sort of where it is now? And honestly, I've just enjoyed it. And I've just, it's been trial and error. I've done lots of things differently. Um, and I feel like I'm sort of getting into the flow of what works and what doesn't now. Mm -hmm. So what initially gave you the impetus to start a YouTube channel? Um, so my very first video was a mystery box video and I'd bought a couple of mystery boxes and I thought, this is probably the sort of thing that would make a good video because prior to that I wasn't necessarily even now I'm not always that comfortable in front of the camera even though I do it all the time I always mm -hmm. still sometimes feel a bit nervous um, and I thought that would be quite a good thing to start off with and that had quite a good response um, I think I did a couple of mystery boxes after that then I did a bit of opening like you know pack openings um, and then the more comfortable I got with it, the more I wanted to put more into it as such. Um, so it was kind of just a bit of a whim and just a bit of a, let's just give it a go. I'd had a couple of people ask me um, on Instagram, well, are you going to do YouTube? Like, and I said to them, honestly, I have no con, like I have nothing to film. I don't know what to film. Um, and now my channel's become, again, not what I planned it to. I do live breaks a um, couple of times a week, two or three times a week. And obviously I still do my pre-recorded videos and, you know, I talk about my collection and stuff. But again, if you told me in the beginning, oh, you're going to start YouTube and do live box breaks, I would have said, no, I'm not because I'm not, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way at all. Um, so yeah, it was just more of a, let's try this, see what happens. And I thought the mystery box was a good starting point because people mm -hmm. like that sort of thing. And yeah, it kind of just went down well. And that's where I started you know, trying different things. And again, I just kind of rely on feedback as well. If I see something has not gone down well, I'm not going to do it again. Whereas if I see it's gaining interest and people enjoy it, then I'm going to stick to that sort of topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, YouTube in a lot of ways, it can just be a snowball effect. I remember when I started my channel prior to that, I thought to myself, you know, I had no intention of really doing box openings. I, I'm not that entertaining. I'm not, you know, I don't really have that kind of really extroverted type of personality. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, well, I've been doing the financial side of Pokemon. I was a financial advisor and, you know, the investing side of Pokemon I had been involved in for years. But I thought to myself, who's really going to want to watch something like that? Who really would be interested in that? And you know, lo and behold, that was actually a whole new niche and a whole new segment of Pokemon that was slowly being cultivated on YouTube. And it just so happened that I had started it, uh, I guess, at kind of the right time. And, yeah. and now there's a lot of channels, uh, including yours, that yeah. talk about the, the investing, the business side, um, yeah. the value side of Pokemon. And, and it's great. Yeah. So like for me, that's something I sort of dip into every now and then, because that's kind of not really my like expertise or obviously anything like that. But again, I like to sort of I do a lot of openings. I do a lot of the fun stuff. I sometimes like to do a bit more of the not too serious stuff, but, you know, about what I'm currently putting my money into or about mm. what's coming to my collection and what I think is worth it, not worth it, etc. I think it again just opens up to that different audience that might not watch my pack openings, but they might come and watch me for the more, you know, 
um serious videos where i'm just sort of discussing what i've been buying etc recently um so like you said like you're not sort of overly you know ex you know out there um with the reactions and stuff like leon hart you know he's the other end of the mm -hmm. spectrum he is big and colorful i'm not like that either i you know i have fun what i'm doing but i'm never going to be that person who's like literally hanging from the ceiling and jumping around <laughs> yeah. and screaming and shouting so um yeah i think i'm just as me as i can be and again i think that maybe shows that i'm not trying to put on something that i i'm not comfortable being because like i said when i started i thought i'm never going to be comfortable enough to do this so i thought i'd give it a go and if it didn't work it didn't work but slowly i've got more confident over time with it which i think with anything that's what happens but um i think another thing um in the uk the community is definitely smaller obviously we're a much smaller country than for example you guys in the us mm. um and we do don't get me wrong we do have a fair size community here but with regards to youtube there isn't as many bigger uk youtubers mm. um so again i like you said starting at the right time i don't know if i chose the right time to sort of give it a go and then have kind of you know found my footing that way um because there isn't too many of us that do it so I think it's just, you know, being that niche, like I'm a female as well. There's not many of them that do it. So, mm. yeah, I don't know what it is, really. I, it might be a number of things. But, yeah, that's how I sort of see it. Well, I think that's a perfect segue, what you just said there, into kind of the core of our discussion. And you said it best. One, I think you fit into various niches that really set you apart from others. One, uh, you're coming from a group in the UK that... I have to give it to you guys. You're very tight knit. It seems like all of the UK YouTubers some, somehow collaborate one way or another with each other yeah. uh, from big to small. And then uh, beyond that, you also have this, uh, this vibe to your channel that is different than other Pokemon YouTubers that I watch. And you, you really hone in on things like the box breaks, the value side, the collecting side. You like to have fun. You also like to provide information, which I think is unique. And then one of the big things also is you're sort of in this, this demographic of female Pokemon content creators, which is, it really is few and far between. And I remember back in 2016 when I was getting back into Pokemon, I cannot recall a single female Pokemon YouTuber. I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that uh, yeah. would be able to. Um and, and I think that we were talking about a little bit of trepidation in starting YouTube. It might be even more so for some of the, the women and the ladies in the community to put themselves out there into a, a hobby which for the longest time I think has been very uh, centered around uh, males and, and the hobby itself I think from the very beginning was kind of tailored more towards young boys and yeah. uh, so for a lot of the ladies to step into the limelight and to step into the hobby, um, I think that takes uh, a, a lot of guts to be able to do so. So Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's like, like I said, when I was, you know, I knew there were big YouTubers and et cetera out there, but they were all male. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't a female that I watched. So again, like definitely that hesitation to make the decision to just be like, okay, let's start uh, Instagram or YouTube because you're a female, like who's going to, I don't know it's like who's gonna maybe take you seriously or pay attention or even be interested so it like you say it's that 
with the minority, definitely, I think, in the hobby. <laughs> but it, it definitely is starting to change. And I think that the the paradigm is starting to shift and we're starting to see a lot more uh, women enter into the hobby. So I guess my question to you is, what do you think has been the, the impetus for that change? Why do you think we're seeing more uh, women in the hobby now than maybe we did in the past? Um. Honestly, I don't know if it's where maybe someone like myself and a few other like females out there who I'm sort of aware of, you know, decided to make Instagrams, YouTube, etc. And then it maybe made other women realize who might have, you know, watched us on their personal accounts actually think, well, I'm into this. Why don't I do the same thing? Why am I not doing it? They're no different to me. Um, and I've definitely seen um, as my Instagram's grown, whether it's just new people finding me that, you know, didn't know me before, I didn't know them. Um, there's definitely more women out there that are definitely getting involved, definitely showcasing their collection more, whether that's on YouTube, Instagram. Um, and I think it's a great thing as well. Like you say, I know it was sort of, it's, it is heavily male dominated, et cetera, but um, I think it's nice just to sort of see it opening up a bit now. Um, I've never really felt awkward or any, cause a lot of people have always said to me like, well, do you not feel a bit awkward like being you know a female when it is a lot of males especially like with the youtube stuff and i've said no not really because no one's ever made me feel like that every like i said everyone especially in my community has always been very welcoming and nice i know not everyone is like that you're always going to get the people who give you the unwanted comments etc but i don't know i've just got quite a thick skin and the people that i do appreciate are the good ones and then anyone else i just sort of think you know it doesn't bother me really, but um, it is nice to see more um, women getting involved and starting to, you know, put themselves out there a bit with it as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, there were a few off the top of my head that I think sort of paved the way I can think of Super Duper Danny, uh, Laughing yeah. Pikachu, who yeah. had been doing this for a long time uh, prior to the, the big boom. But I remember speaking to uh, King Pokemon last year, you know, a guy that has been probably one of the biggest catalysts for Pokemon uh, ever really helped to bring it to the States. And that's one of the things that he said was, you know, one of my big hopes is to try to um, give the female content creators or female collectors a little bit more of a platform to project themselves and to show that this hobby um, really is for everyone. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and I think we're really starting to see that now. Um, and, and, you know, ladies like yourself are really continuing to lay the foundation for things to come. Um, yeah. It's so funny because as, as I said, as I was growing up, um, there were so few girls that were, that were into Pokemon. And I, my wife, I remember when I first uh, met my wife and we started dating, you know, you, you, there was always that part where you're like, oh yeah, you know, I love to hike and all, all of these different things, all these manly <laughs> things, right? And then it was like, okay, well, yeah, I gotta, I gotta show you the extra bedroom filled with the Pokemon cards, right? And I was like, surely you watched this when you were a kid, right? And she was like, no, no, I was never, I was never into it. Uh, my That's sister crazy. was never into it. So none of the women in my life were ever into Pokemon. It was always just some of my other male friends that, that enjoyed it. Um, yeah. but, but it is, it's starting to, it's starting to change. And I talk to, um, other women in the community or just out at conventions, out in public. And, uh, you're, you start to understand that there is a large demographic of women out there that enjoy this as well. 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't know with me if I had I had a younger brother and we kind of collected together when we were younger. So I don't know if that sort of, you know, maybe is why I was more into it than my friends who, you know, had sisters and they just wanted everything girly. Um, but yeah, it was kind of something we did together. And like I said, I did grow out of it. And then obviously my husband was into it quite heavily when he was a kid as well. So obviously we both knew that we liked it. And then we, as we got back into it more seriously as adults, obviously we, it was something we could do together as well. Whereas some of my friends think I'm a bit crazy and they can't quite understand. And they come <laughs> into this room and they're like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, so yeah, I've always had those people around me that have kind of been into it as well, which I think is, yeah, why it sort of helped me then get back into it again as an adult as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so cool. And, and, you know, I've got uh, my daughter is three and, uh, you know, she loves it. She loves to watch the show and she loves, you know, whenever I have the card, she'll always come in and she'll even be able <laughs> to name some of them now. And I, and I think of that, you know, when I see again, when I see women like yourself who, um, you know, do have a strong presence, I think to myself, like, this is these these are women that she could look up to. These are women that she can look at as examples of strong women who, um, you know, kind of break that break that norm, right? Break into something that is um, is dominated by another another demographic and can and can really make a, a name for themselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, like you say, it's it's it is sort of it will male dominated there is always going to be more men I think than Mm -hmm. women involved in it but yeah I I sort of didn't it didn't want it didn't stop me as such but I think I've been lucky that everyone has been really nice and welcoming to me in the community I know some people might not always have the same experience and I kind of just try and brush off anyone who's negative or you know there's a bit Mm -hmm. of drama I you know I'm not here for that I'm here because I enjoy what I'm doing and I just want to be involved that is literally do you know what I mean at the end of the day that's what it is and hopefully that comes across on my YouTube channel as well. I'm doing it because I enjoy it. Um, and I think, again, that's where the sort of the solid community has been built, especially the guys that watch my channel. Um, they're all brilliant. And we've got quite a lot of girls in there as well, which is nice as well to mm-hmm. see now. Well, I'm sure one of the big reasons a lot of the guys out there are, are, are I'm sure, envious of that collection that you're building and also yeah. the just the, the value and the... Um, the rarity of a lot of the cards and products that you have uh, coming across your hands. So how, how yeah. did all of that start? Were you kind of more entrenched in, in buying and selling prior to coming on YouTube? And um, how, how did that all transpire? Not really. I was kind of more into collecting. Um, the buying and selling started, I would say, later on. Um, there was things like, um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. For example, I had a first edition base set raw for quite a long time. Um, just, uh, you know, as in my collection, um, and I didn't decide to grade it until further down the line. Um, and then I think it's things like that, as I had them in my collection a while, I tend to change what I, you know, what I want to do next, what my goals are. I've spoken about it in a recent video um, because I had a certain booster box that I ended up selling to help fund a new goal. Um, so there's things that I've held on to pretty much since the beginning. There's things that I've then had for a while, then maybe moved on. Um, but it was more about collecting to begin with. And especially when I started the Instagram, it was more literally somewhere to just show what I had mm-hmm. um, and see if I met similar sort of people. And then and that's you know when it was started um and then with the youtube i think that's more where the 
maybe the selling came in with the box breaks, for example, because people started to say, well, why don't you do a box break? And then that's where I sort of had a lot more modern stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas before I was definitely more vintage. Obviously what I grew up on is what I wanted to start collecting again, because that's what meant something to me. And it's as time's gone on where I've delved into, you know, more modern sets, but obviously I still have quite a lot of vintage in my collection as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are some tips that you would give to others out there? Because now that Pokemon has grown to such a level of popularity and notoriety, the ability to acquire vintage items is arguably more difficult than ever. So somebody that's trying to work within a budget, what would you recommend to them in order to try to get their hands on some of these vintage items? Yeah, um, for me, I always say if there's a vintage item that you really like yourself, you know, it's something that means something to you, you want to get involved with it. It's not just a Charizard, for example, Mm. that, um, you know, um, I would, you know, work on getting what works for you. I feel like a lot of people feel like they need to go with what the next big and best thing is. And they might put themselves in a difficult situation financially to try and acquire something that then maybe doesn't turn out to be what they thought it might be you know people will say you know this is going to go up in price that's going to go up in price i wouldn't listen to any of that i would focus on um what works for you i always say as well there are items in my collection that i will never let go of um there are certain things that either i've graded myself or i've had them a long time and they just mean something um whether they're pricey or not i'll want to hold on to them whereas there's other things where i basically say to myself you know what if x y and z comes up I might sacrifice this item knowing that I might get it, you know, back further down the line in order to fund the new goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trying to hold on to everything, you're going to struggle to, you know, you know, let you have the cash coming in. Mm-hmm. That's totally different. If you've got that unlimited fund that you can just spend, but with regards to, you know, moving on, you definitely need to look at maybe what you're willing to sell or trade to help get you to that next point. Um, but yeah, there are things that I will let go of and there are things I won't let go of. And I think within your own collection, you kind of just have to decide what those items are and then, you know, what decision you make from there, really. And I think that really boils down to understanding yourself, right? I think one of the, yeah. the big travesties over the last year or so is that I think for a lot of collectors slash investors out there, Um, instead of kind of listening to their own inherent nature of what they enjoyed in the hobby, they were really just kind of feeding off of what was uh, put out there, right? And then trying to kind of live up to that same level of, um, you know, that same level of hype, if you will, rather than focusing on the things that they actually enjoyed. Yeah, that's what I say a lot in my videos, um, that someone else's enjoyment you know if someone likes um i don't even know what someone likes a certain item and they're sort of putting it out there this is the biggest and best thing everyone needs to go and get it if you don't like it you're never gonna like it their personal opinion about the item is never gonna you know make you happy so i see a lot of people rush in and get things because you know a group of people might be saying it's the best thing they've ever seen um whereas i think you you need to enjoy your own collection um especially if you're showcasing it and putting it out there um you will definitely feel happier and i think it will come off as well that you enjoy your collection more um if you're um actually collecting what you like um Mm. and not because someone else tells you to or someone 
someone else likes it really that would be my best advice that i could give anyone i think yeah and i think that's a great uh initial approach is to buy the things that you that you enjoy that way if you do have the intention of maybe later on down the, the line selling that item <clears throat> if it doesn't work out and that item tanks, right? Because this is collectibles. It's a very risky asset class uh, to be investing in in the first place. So if that doesn't pan out, as long as you've you know made this smart financial decisions and you've bought something that you actually enjoy, if that goes to zero, then you will be okay with that because you enjoy yeah. that item and you would still want to keep it in your in your collection. Yeah, I, I think that is like a hundred percent. If like you say, if it goes to zero and you're still enjoying it, that's good. If it goes to zero and it's going to ruin your life, then maybe it wasn't the right decision to make at the time of doing it. And I think that's where a lot of people, especially in the hype and the boom, they just wanted to go for whatever was, you know, the brightest thing out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe people ended up picking up things that they didn't really want or enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're slowly starting to realize maybe it is just worth actually having those particular, whether it's, you know, slabs, raw cards, boxes that you actually you like and they mean something to you, I mm -hmm. think personally. So how do you personally balance it? This is a, this is sort of a, uh, a problem that I've always had is, people always say it's, it's really hard to um, invest in items because they either want to open it or they want to keep it as part of their collection. Yeah. For me, I've always kind of found the opposite and I think it's because um, one, I, I'm kind of a minimalist, so I know the specific items that I like to keep in my collection, and I like to keep that small and, and, and kind of compact. So for me, the the investing side of understanding the potential, like a, a value investment within Pokemon, um, I always kind of see it initially from that perspective with a financial background. And so then understanding when an item in my collection reaches a certain level, I always have that sort of torn uh, position of like, oh, should I sell it now? So I'm interested, yeah. to, if you get what I'm saying here, I'm interested to get to understand how you balance those two and how you're able to how you're able to maintain your collection, how you're able to move other products to add to your collection when you know that there's certain certain items that you're ready to let go of to create cash flow, just everything around, you know, that that whole paradigm. Yeah, it's it's a really hard one. Like you say, I'm like you. It, it's not easy at all. I think as my um especially with the YouTube, for example, as that's grown, some of the things that I've tried to get into my collection to be able to do box breaks with, maybe I wouldn't have necessarily been after them beforehand. Um, because a lot of the stuff now, especially um, some of the Watsy boxes that I'm picking up, for example, they will mainly be for box breaks. Um, mm -hmm. So I will be looking for ones that maybe I'll ask, you know, my subscribers what they want to see. And if something comes up and, you know, I've, I've seen it a lot, I'll think, right, I'll get that in, we'll do a box break with it. So now, a lot of those types of things for the channel is more centered around content. Um, I have to be able to bring in the products that people want to see that they find exciting. Obviously, luckily I enjoy everything I open. So it's a bonus for me. Um, whereas before when it was just kind of me as a hobby, again, I get quite attached to things and I sort of say to myself, you know, I'm never going to sell that. Then I get to a predicament where maybe something else comes up, but I don't just have, you know, 
the money available to buy it. And then I really have to take a long, hard look and think, but why Why don't you want to sell it? You know, mm-hmm. what is it that's making you hold on to it? Um, so there are certain cards. It's, it's mainly cards that I've ended up grading myself and maybe I've got a grade back I didn't expect. And the card, you know, is a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are the ones where, you know, there's no movement on those. You could offer me whatever you wanted. I'm not going to get rid of it. Um, whereas where I am now with everything, um, I'm in a different position. I obviously have my own personal collection, um, but obviously I have the collection as well of, you know, boxes, for example, that I break on the channel. Um, so with stuff like that, it's more of a business decision as to what, you know, content it's going to bring in, um, what my subs want to see, et cetera. Um, so I suppose, again, it, it's something that changes so regularly. Um, and as the channel's grown, it's changed quite a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of the things I'm trying to get in at the moment um, would be, mainly for the channel. And now that I've got like uh, my online TCG store, again, everything that I'll be getting in on there um, will be more modern stuff as well. Um, You know, things that, um, you know, my customers and my subscribers want to see. Whereas with regards to my own collection, it's a real hard one. There's, I wouldn't say I have a list of things that, you know, I want to go out and buy that are my goal. For me, it's as and when things come up, I then sit there and think, oh, I really want that. And that's when I have to then take a look at what I've got and Mm -hmm. I have to start working out what can I let go? What can I not? And if I'm going to let it go, what's the price as well? Because like, Mm -hmm. you know, with the hobby, a lot of things go up and down. Some things might be priced a lot more than when I originally got them. Some things they might have crashed and they Mm -hmm. might not really be worth it. So there's no black and white answer with it. And a lot of people always want to know, well, how do you fund this and how do you do that? And it's really, you kind of have to go with, where everything's moving um it's a in in this hobby i think obviously anyone who's involved will understand it's you can't it's so up and down you never know what's going to happen next so Mm -hmm. you kind of just have to go with it and sort of make the decisions as you go if that makes sense yeah yeah well and i can speak from experience that the last 18 months to two years has been the absolute most tumultuous time in the pokemon card market Mm -hmm. prior to that the movements on individual cards graded cards sealed products it was somewhat predictable and it was a fairly steady whether it was up or down um so for a lot of people out there that have jumped in over this period of time that are thinking to themselves my gosh like i there's i just cannot keep up with it i don't know when the right time is to sell or the right time is to buy well to be honest with you, there's never a right time. <laughs> no, there's never a right and, time. <laughs> and, and that's really to to speak of, of all markets. Um, again, from experience, there's never a right time in any market. But um, it has been a, a very tumultuous time and, and has fluctuated so dramatically. And so I think the, the big thing is is just understanding where, where you're at and, and having that blueprint. I think any successful collector out there or investor, because to be honest, I think that we're all a little bit of both, right? Yeah, We're all 100%. a little bit, well, and I would even include um, business people, businessmen, businesswomen. I think that we all have those various aspects to ourselves uh, wherever you're at in the hobby. And so it's understanding and having a blueprint set out for yourself of these are my collecting goals. These are my investing goals. These are my business goals. This is how each of those can work in unison with each other to achieve the goals in each of those various categories. Yeah. 
No, I agree. Like you say, I think we are all a bit of everything, um, especially with me now, whereas I would say I was mainly a collector. It was my hobby to begin with. Mm -hmm. It's now my business and my hobby. There are two different sides to it. So what my collection goals are and what I do with my personal collection is going to be different from what I do with the items in my business, the items on my store, et cetera. That it, you know, they're two completely different areas now. Um, and I think as long as, you know, in your own head that you try and set out, you know, a, like you say, a blueprint of some sort as to where you want to go with your different, you know, whatever it is, whether it is your personal or your business side of things. Um, as long as you stick to what is working for you, I think that's what's important. I think it's when you let other people get in your head with it and, you know, you're trying to follow the trends. Sometimes they're the right thing to do. Sometimes those trends are where you want to go. Sometimes it pays off. But I think you just have to take everything with a pinch of salt um, sometimes and kind of just sit back, take a look at it and make sure you're making the like right decision for yourself as such. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love these conversations and uh, having the podcast, having the roundtables, because I think it gives the audience a much more holistic picture of really the Pokemon market at, in general. And also it gives them these different perspectives where they can take all of these different sort of modalities of the Pokemon hobby and then go, you know what, that resonates with me, that doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. And then, especially for people who are just getting in, people who are new, they can form a little bit better picture of what their outlook is by having this multitude of perspectives. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you have to kind of have a look at everything, take a step back and see the bigger picture before you start making your own decisions on things. If you focus on one area, you'll sort of have tunnel vision with it um, and you sort of won't be seeing what's going on elsewhere. And I think that's just as important a lot of the time, even if it not, doesn't necessarily interest you. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to sort of keep your eye out and sort of be aware of what's going on everywhere. So getting into that, what are... For, for you personally, what are some of the collecting goals that you have for yourself, some of the investment goals, the business side of it, uh, YouTube, yeah. all of that kind of, because it, it's all really an umbrella. You've really created almost an umbrella brand around yourself, around Pokey Chloe, which yeah. encompasses all of those different things. So talking about that blueprint and kind of your long-term vision, what does that outlook uh, look like for you? Um, personally, um, my personal collection goals, there are definitely some booster boxes, for example, that I'd always love to add to my collection. Um, Sky Ridge, for example, has been one of my long-time goals, but I feel like every time I get to the point personally, something else comes up and I'm like, <laughs> I'll just put that on the back burner for a minute and I'll come back to it. Um, so yeah, there's things like that where I want to acquire a certain box or something, and that would sit in my collection. Those are things I wouldn't be they wouldn't be for the channel. I wouldn't be opening. Those are the sort of things I would just, you know, like to own overall. Mm -hmm. um, I was very lucky to acquire one of my Grail items, which was a legendary collection box. But um, like I said, there was a, a, something else came up and I decided I will get that back one day. Um, so that was something I let go to fund the next goal. But mm -hmm. eventually I'll work my way back to that. Business-wise um, and with the channel, I think I just want to kind of keep it in the direction it's going. I like... I didn't ever think I would like doing the live streams, but I do. I like doing the box breaks and I always want to have that variation. I want to be able to offer those vintage, those fun boxes that you don't see being open very often. But I also want to be able to provide the newest set that's out and, you know, mm -hmm. the modern stuff that people want to see. Um, and I'm quite heavily influenced by what my subscribers want. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people suggest things and I will try my best to 
get what they're up within reason, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I just want to keep the channel relevant. I don't ever want people to feel that it's at the point where they can't get involved because I'm only opening Watsi and, you know, it's unaffordable for a lot of people um, or I'm only opening modern and those people who like vintage, you know, they've got no interest in that, might not ever want to get involved. So I think long-term with the business, I want to keep it varied. I want to have a little bit of everything with it. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to sort of narrow it down too much as such and sort of focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know because I found that a YouTube channel, a, a community, whether that's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, a community is kind of a small microcosm, in my opinion, of the the tastes and the preferences of the larger market. So I'm interested to know what your subscribers are asking for, what they're interested in, because I think that, again, that gives you an indication of kind of what the larger market is looking at and kind of where the, uh, the tastes are are moving um, during this current period of time in Pokemon. Yeah. Um, so one of the most popular things everyone was asking for, and I actually did it last week, was an Evolutions box break. Um, I've done a couple of them before, um, but I think it had been about five or six months that I, since I did the previous one. And mm -hmm. I think I said in one of my videos once, what, do, what does everyone want to see? And the amount of people that would be messaging me saying, we want Evolutions, we want Evolutions. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get a box. And we did an Evolutions break. And I mean, on my channel, um, I have my members and I tend to let those guys know about any box breaks um, prior to anyone else, just mm -hmm. because, you know, they're my, that's what they're paying for at the end of the day, um, that exclusivity um, and the box sold out before I could even mention it to anyone else. So um, evolution seems to be snapped up whenever it's you know whenever it's mentioned people are like yeah i'll be on that straight away and i have to limit the amount of packs people can buy um because there will be some people who will try and buy the entire box and i'm mm -hmm. like we need to get everyone involved here and um, with regards to whatsy i haven't had too many suggestions from subscribers as such i tend to try to make the decision myself and keep it as varied as possible and sort of you know get a, instead of doing five base breaks i've tried to do rocket fossil gym and um, i did neo rev the other week i tried to keep those as varied as possible just so we we're not seeing the same thing all the time mm -hmm. um another set a lot of people ask for which again is a box break i've scheduled towards december is supreme victors um, I mentioned I had the box in my collection and 10 or 15 people were like, you've got to open it, you've got to open it. <laughs> um, and it doesn't take much convincing. With regards to modern, um, Hidden Fates is the most popular modern set that I do on my channel. Um, it's obviously not as easy to come by now. It's not just sitting mm -hmm. on the shelves mm -hmm. everywhere. But if I put a Hidden Fates break live, it, it just sells out instantly. There's just... People are wild for it, kind mm -hmm. of like Shining Fates. That's just as popular, I'd say now. Um, but if you're talking modern, Hidden Fates, Shining Fates, that is that is what people want, or especially on my channel. Mm -hmm. um, and people will sit there and watch it for hours as well. Because I always used to get worried if I'm doing a one-set opening. Are people really going to want to watch me? Mm -hmm. And they do. They absolutely love it. Um, whereas with the vintage stuff, I just try and keep it varied and sort of as reasonable as I can um, just to keep as many people interested. But I'd say Evolutions was one of the most popular. And I actually saw your um, your video a couple of days ago where you had the Evolutions, well, the two boxes. Mm -hmm. um, that was very interesting. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, you know, Evolutions is such a, it's such a conundrum. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got that uh, fake box 
from uh, a member of the community who had unfortunately uh, been scammed out on uh, eBay. Essentially what, and, and it's still going on right now. I actually come across them every now and then and I'll report them to, um, to eBay. But yeah. uh, they're having large lots that they're putting out. So it'll be like buy 25, get it at this br- price, buy 50, get it at this price. And unfortunately, this particular person bought into a lot of, I believe, 25, and they were essentially coming out to like $40 a box. Well, that right there should oh, be a, a huge yeah. red flag. But uh, I was also thankful to them because be, their misfortune allows for others to not fall for that, right? So when we can yeah. get that out there to the community of what to look out for, um, you know, what characteristics to look at so that you don't fall for that, um, in the future, I think is is really important. And I think it's also a, another indication that it's so important in this day and age to buy from reputable sellers. To, oh, yeah. you know, if you're going to get into a box break, if you're going to get into something like that, you know, do it with somebody who has skin in the game, who has a good reputation, somebody like yourself. And I think that's why, you know, those things sell out for you. Those things go so fast is because people are itching to open those or to be involved in those in some capacity, but they're just trepidatious because of all of the scams that exist yeah. out there. In yeah. Especially when you start getting into older products, something like Evolutions and even prior to that. Yeah, no, I agree. I do get a lot of questions, um, just DMs mainly saying, well, how are you comfortable buying these? Like, you know, where do you get some of your products from? Um, how, how do you know they're going to be genuine? And I'm just so... I, I say it again and again, you know, if someone has no feedback, if they have no presence on their Instagram page, if they're not re- if they look like a ghost, it's too good to be true. You've just got to sort of, you know, it's a bit of common sense, but I think also people think, well, you know, oh, it sounds really good. It could be, it might be. And then, you know, they're, they're straight into the scam. Um, so I always just say, you know, just make sure you've got that feedback or even a reference. I always say to people, if, for example, you're buying a box of someone you've found on Instagram, they look like they've got a big page. I always say to people, ask them for a reference. They will have no problem giving you a reference. Whereas if they're hesitant for that sort of thing, that's a red flag straight away. Right. If they are a genuine person, they're going to have other people they've dealt with. Whereas if you can't get anything out of them, you know, steer clear. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also that people in the community need to understand that with that reputation, there also should come a little bit of a premium on the products that you're buying into. So for somebody like yourself, or we can go even higher to somebody like Pokey Rev, who does, you know, hunt, you know, tens of thousands yeah. of dollars worth of box breaks. There's a premium on the packs that people are buying into from him, um, and for good reason. The guy is a, a very vetted source. He know, or you know, if you buy into a box break from him, and he's had it. We there was that uh, Japanese Neo box that he opened that was in fact fake. Well, guess what? He was right on it. He refunded everybody their money, made up for it, and and also helped to track down the source of that product. Right. Yeah. So there there should be a premium that comes along with that. And in the end, I think that you kind of get what you pay for. Right. I always yeah. tell people, be very careful, especially tomorrow. We have the release of Fusion Strike. You're going to find and, and prior to that, you're going to find 
tons of listings on eBay for pre-orders, for uh, you know being able to buy booster boxes, ETBs, and you just have to be very, very careful with that because there's a ton of, of nefarious characters out there that will take advantage of you in a heartbeat and it happens every single time. Yeah, it does. And especially, you know, with the new sets and the whole pre-ordering thing, I always say to people, be very careful there. You know, there's big retailers, especially here in the UK. There's a few like big websites where I get a lot of, you know, my stuff from. Um, and I know that they'll have an allocation and the pre-order they're putting out will be what they know they're getting. You find these listings on eBay of pre-order this, pre-order that. That person hasn't got it in hand. They don't even know if they're going to get it in hand, but they're going to take your money. And I always just say to people, just be really cautious. Don't be, you know, throwing your cash out there to people who you don't know are even going to be able to get that product for you. And I think new sets is where people get drawn in a lot of the time because, you know, they want to get involved and, you know, they're desperate. And then unfortunately they end up falling victim to it and then they lose their money and they never see the product either. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and one of the, the big things to look out for, in my opinion, is those sellers who are listing products months in advance before a release. Yeah. If you see somebody that is listing, we'll take Fusion Strike, for example, a month, two months early, that should send up an immediate red flag. I know for us personally, um, we don't actually put up our uh, listings or our pre-orders rather um, until about a week before release date, especially in this day and age where on the back end with so many supply chain issues, with so many issues yeah. with the distributors uh, and, and also manufacturer coming from Pokemon to the distributor and then finally to the reseller, um, you have to be very cognizant of what your tr your firm numbers are going to be, and we try to get that as close to release day as possible, so that we have a, a lot more certitude in what we're actually getting. Yeah, no, I think that that's the right way to go about it because I would I would never feel confident putting out there not knowing a hundred percent myself that I can supply that to people because all you're doing is setting yourself up for disaster complaints. You know, mm -hmm. you give yourself a bad name that way. Whereas if you're always you know on on top of it, you know you're, you're always on board. You're not um like you say popping up two months before the sets come out with your pre-orders. Mm -hmm. it, it's just you know those are the sort of things you just you don't go anywhere near. So no. It is best to just know what you've got and then put it out there 100 mm -hmm. getting back to uh evolutions like i i, I just got to touch on it because it's, it's, <laughs> it's really funny uh when i say that it's a conundrum because when i first started my channel my very first video was talking about evolutions and and i was actually telling people hey i think there's some potential here with this particular set a lot of good characteristics about it yada 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 and uh, I think today that's probably one of the biggest pieces of flack that I've ever caught was about evolutions early on. People just said it was garbage, it was trash, it was overprint, <laughs> just printed into the ground, trash said, all of these different things. And then here we are a year later, um, the prices, they rose really fast, uh, you know, and now yeah. they've kind of stabilized, which we, we, we knew would happen, but still, there it's still sitting around $650 a box for evolutions and it is arguably the most popular set out there and and you just gave the indication of that from your audience as well yeah and i just i i find it so interesting and and that's what i've also found about markets in general you know being a financial advisor we had a, this common saying in that world that the the stock markets 
are a graph of rich people's feelings. And very often, <laughs> the Pokemon market can also be a graph or a, a movement pattern of influencers' opinions and, and the opinions of the, the larger community, right? The kind yeah. of the connotation behind things. And I think what people started to find was that there a lot of their entrance back into Pokemon started with evolutions. And evolutions also provided them that nostal nostalgic feeling of base set without the yeah. same price point. And, and I think as we move along, it just seems like evolutions just always comes back. It always comes back into, into the forefront of the discussion and of people's, um, you know, favorites list. And, and, and that, again, I think is another reason why I think over the long term that will just kind of go down as one of the most popular sets of all time. Love it or hate it. Uh, it's just one of those things that that is embedded in the the social consciousness of the hobby. It is, it, and like you say, love it or hate it. There are people that love it, and there are people that absolutely <laughs> hate it as well. But it's not going away, and I can't see it ever going away. And like you say, I think again back when it came out it was that nostalgic set for people it was you know that base set reference kind of like with what celebrations has done in the last month or so mm -hmm. with the you know the classic cards being brought out um people are excited about that because it's that nostalgia i think that's what evolutions did and people just can't get enough of it i don't know what it is but they keep coming back for more i feel like i could almost list an evolutions box break every week and not have to worry that it wouldn't mm -hmm. sell out because people just, even after the one I just did, the comments um, in the live chat that evening, it was, when are you doing another one? And I was like, we haven't even got through this one yet. And already they want to know when the next one's coming. So I, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to go away. And like you say, I think it's always going to be referred to as one of the most popular sets like ever. I just mm -hmm. think it's, it's always in the forefront. It always gets brought up somehow and yeah, love it or hate it. It's there. And I think also from the investment perspective as well, it gave people it gave people that feeling of seeing somebody like Logan Paul um, opening up a first edition base set box and 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 bringing so many people back into the hobby and them going, well, I'm not going to pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars, four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> for a box, but hey, here's a box out here with essentially the same cards but yeah. at you know a fraction of the price you know maybe a thousand dollars or so and even better now um yeah. and so i think even though it was probably printed into the ground i just don't know and especially if if we keep having more openings you know if your audience says hey, chloe yeah. <laughs> let's do an evolutions box opening every single week eventually that supply of sealed evolutions boxes yeah. is going to is going to dwindle and i think as yeah. more and more people get onto platforms like youtube and box breaks do become more popular um i think that the argument for certain products being oversupplied i think that will be a catalyst that actually dwindles a lot of that supply over time and this cachet that people think that others are holding on to i think you're going to find less and less of that um, later on down the road 
Yeah, I agree, especially on evolutions with that point. I think, like you say, as the box breaks, you know, more people get into them, start YouTube, or even just, you know, like you say, they, can, they can't afford a first edition base box, but, you know, evolutions is at that much more affordable price point. And even for themselves, if they just want to open something and feel that, you know, excitement of getting the Charizard, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, relating back to base set, more people are going to open that set. And then you will get to the point, like you say, where, you know, it's going to dwindle. There is going to be a limited number of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just think it is always going to have that popularity. I, I can't see that changing at the moment at all. Yeah, you know, I, I was starting to get the impression that celebrations could have potentially been that set that eclipsed evolutions and kind of became yeah. the new favorite. And I'm interested to get your opinion on celebrations because when I first started to see a lot of the promo cards that were coming out and the old mechanics that were tied to newer Pokemon, I was really excited. And then when the actual uh, main set and then the classic collection came out, for me personally, I was I was highly disappointed. And I thought that it was, I, I've called it the copy and paste set, where Evolutions <laughs> had the, the same artwork as base set, but the rendition of the cards were of that period of time of the EX yeah. era of the you know that um, that XY era of cards. Whereas with celebrations, I just felt like there was a lot left on the table for that set. Right. So I um I have done a couple of celebrations breaks now um, where I've done bundles. People get like four packs and then a couple of extra booster packs. Um, I. I have enjoyed it myself. I haven't pulled the Charizard yet. That's what we've been trying to get on the channel, as we always are. It's funny. When I saw the pictures come out for the set, you know, we get the leaks, we get to see, you know, the player guide, what were the cards going to look like? I was really disappointed. I was looking at the actual pictures of the cards and I thought the hollow pattern on some of them looked awful. Mm-hmm. Um, then after opening them, I was actually really pleased i actually preferred them a lot more in person i thought the texture on the card was really good um the one thing i will say the celebrations logo i know it's celebrations i know they're marking the set for that reason that bothers me on a lot of the cards i think they could have made that a little bit more visually appealing and i Mm. think that has also put a lot of people off them as well I think there were people excited about them when they saw them in person. I think it was just too much. Mm -hmm. Um, The copy and paste thing, I've never heard anyone say that, but I can see where you're coming from 100% with that. Um, I haven't opened too much celebrations at the moment. Um, The classic set, I have enjoyed it. Um, but like you said, I think people thought that might be the set that, you know, Trump's evolutions and everyone goes wild for. I think in that first week, everyone went wild for it. But I think that hype has really calmed down now, whereas I thought it was still going to linger a bit longer. Um, I don't know what it's like in the States, but especially here, I feel like everyone got what they wanted in the first week and then that's it. You know, it's kind of what's the next thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm not 100 percent decided on celebrations yet personally. Yeah, you know, it's and I think that what you were saying about people kind of getting maybe not necessarily put off from it from the beginning, but getting bored with it has been indicative of the prices. The prices yeah. on the the individual cards have just absolutely plummeted. And I think that it's it's due to that fact where people were excited, hey, it was cool to see Bayset, Blastoise, Venusaur, Charizard, uh, some of these older cards. 
But now it's like, well, you know, they're they're kind of like it, or they're pretty much exactly like it, but it's got that ugly 25th anniversary stamp <laughs> on it in in the most like random spot on so many of yeah. the cards. And I think that there's also this feeling of just of just kind of a lot left on the table. I guess that's the best way to put it. Of I really think, especially with as small of a set that Celebrations is, that Pokemon really could have gone all out with it. I mean, in the beginning, yeah. I was really hoping for basically Neo Evolution. So a reprint of Neo okay. Era cards, which I thought would have made a lot of sense because the 20th anniversary was basically the reprint of base set. The 25th, we could do the reprint yeah. of Neo yeah. and then just kind of move on to each generation for every, you know, five years of that that milestone. So I was disappointed to not see that. And then when I heard of how small the set was going to be, I thought, okay, this is prime grounds for Pokemon to go all out. And it just, it seems like there was, there was a lot more they could do, in my opinion. It was lacking a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I do agree. I think that the stamp is not great and it's in a really awful place on the card which is just yeah i kind of when i saw them i like i said i was disappointed with the, the original leak pictures i didn't like a lot of the patterns seeing them in real life they look a lot better but like you said with the set being so small as well there was almost they could have gone to the moon with it they could mm. have done so much with it and it's like only so much was done and then it was kind of left and put out there as such so I haven't opened many. I have done a couple of breaks. I haven't opened much for myself at all. Um, it kind of hasn't drawn me in enough. And like I said, that first week it came out, it was wild. Everyone wanted it. Everyone was fighting for it. And now I feel like it has really sort of calmed down again, mm -hmm. like drastically. Mm -hmm. Whereas normally it does take a while for these things to sort of start slowing down. But this kind of was up there and then it kind of dropped, I think. Yeah. I was, I was worried about it when I saw the way that it was sandwiched between Evolving Skies and Fusion Strike, where we didn't know that we that Fusion Strike, yeah. it was going to be Fusion Strike, but we knew we were gonna get a set in November. And when I saw that we had Evolving Skies, which I believe released in, what was that August, the end of August? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was August, yeah. yeah. The end of August, and then we knew that, uh, that Celebrations was going to be a month and a half later, and then another mainline set in November, that's where I like started putting all those pieces together. And I was like, well, I just, I don't know that if this is going to pan out to be what we had expected. I think the, I think what they're, they're doing too much at once. I mm -hmm. feel like we get a new set, there's excitement about it, but by the time people have got really excited about it, we've already had the leak for the next set. And then everyone's focus shifts. Everyone wants the next, you know, the newest set out, completely understandable. That set gets completely dropped on its head. Everyone forgets about it, unless it's a really strong set. And, you know, um, it really excites everyone. I just feel like we're, you know, we're not given enough time to enjoy sets. And then we blink and we've already had the leak for the next one. Like we, we know we haven't, you know, official fusion strike release day is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we already know about brilliant stars, which right. is coming out what January, February next year. And I just feel like just everyone slow down. Let us, you know, get, and I think another thing as well, this is something that maybe puts me off collecting modern sets. Um, a lot is the amount of cards in the sets fusion strike oh, yeah. over 280 cards. 
it's just unachievable. It's impossible. I think it bores people at that point. I mm -hmm. think they just think, what is the point? It is just, if you're collecting them and not playing the game as such, I just think putting a binder together of any of those types of sets, I just think you either have to spend so much money or so much time. And I just, that personally me, it just puts me off with those sorts of things. And the fact that the quality control isn't great on a lot of the sets mm -hmm. that come out. I think it's a real combination of things. Yeah, two things that I want to parse out there that you said that I think is really important. Um, the first thing with the uh, quality control of the cards, um, going back to celebrations, have you had an opportunity to open up any of the Japanese 25th anniversary products? No, I haven't. I've only opened English at the moment. So I've, I've, we've had a bunch coming through and they look great. I have to say that the Japanese cards look so much better. The products themselves, I think, are, are much better. And, and that's usually the case, right? Usually the Japanese equivalents, just Japanese cards in general, are of higher quality, better card stock, um, all of those different things. So if you, it, it, I think if you guys start getting some Japanese products coming across, I mean, the, the artwork itself is relatively the same as the, the English cards, but um, I think that the card quality and just the appeal of the products, I think, are better than Celebrations. Yeah, um, I don't really open any Japanese on my channel at all. I don't know if it's just where I don't really collect modern Japanese. I have some vintage, um, but as the channel's grown, I actually opened up a CP6 box um, a couple oh, nice. of weeks ago, just after the Neo Rev stream. And even then I could just immediately, there's just such a difference. Like you say, the quality of the cards, it's just a complete, you know, the artwork is, you know, near enough, you know, the same for a lot of the cards, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, in general, the quality of the cards, it's just, it is completely different to English. And some of the quality control we get on some of these English sets is just, it's shocking. It really is. Um, so I, I do see where that whole, the whole Japanese thing is a lot more appealing to a lot of people. So I'm definitely considering incorporating that a little bit more into the channel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've, I, in the past, I never really delved into the Japanese side much because I think like a lot of people, um, English cards is what I grew up with. So that's what I knew and yeah. that's what I enjoyed. But over the last four years or so, I really have started to get more into the Japanese cards. And there's a lot of exclusive sets as you go back into vintage items, things that we never had released anywhere else in the world that are only exclusive to Japan. And also from the investment value, I think that a lot of people are understanding that these Japanese cards... Even going back, I remember this was probably six months ago. I came across a Beckett price guide uh, from, I believe, 2002. And uh, the top three cards on that list for value were Japanese cards, even back then. And it's interesting how the dynamic changed over a period of time where back in the day, a lot of the appeal, a lot of the emphasis was placed on the Japanese cards because those were the originals. That was the source that these these cards had come from. And then it slowly moved into English cards being more valuable. And now I think a lot of that is being shifted where you're starting to see trophy cards, uh, very exclusive, rare Japanese cards are some of the most valuable in the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And like you, myself, I only had English cards growing up. I hardly had any Japanese at all. So that's when I got back into it as an adult. It was, you know, I got back into collecting English, what I had grown up with. And the whole 
modern Japanese, it was just never something that originally anyone sort of asked for on my channel. So it's nothing I really sort of had to offer. But over the past couple of weeks, I've definitely had some subscribers trying to push for the uh, the Japanese um, the Japanese set. So I'm definitely considering maybe branching out a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the other thing that I wanted to to dive into that you'd said there was about just the the size of some of these sets. I've got uh, a video coming out tomorrow, just kind of my overall analysis, if you call it that, of, of Fusion Strike. And I think, again, one of the big turnoffs of something like this set is, is the enormity of it. I remember Danny Phantom put out a video here, I believe it was on maybe Chilling Rain, maybe Evolving Skies, and basically went through, I believe, 72 booster boxes and still for those sets, which aren't necessarily that large, still had 13 cards that he needed to complete a full master set. So that that basically, when you look at something like Fusion Strike, for anybody out there, any collector that is trying to complete a master set, I mean, seven. you think about the amount of money that it would take to try to do something yeah. like that, even if you were going out onto the secondary market, which upon release is obviously going to be uh, you know, astronomically higher than it will be in a few months. But even if yeah. you're trying to get individual chase cards on the secondary market and then completing the rest of the set by opening up packs, I mean, you might as well bank on spending thousands of dollars in order to yeah. do so. Yeah, and I think even like it makes it hard, for example, like the kids that are into it today, like their parents must dread it. You know, mm -hmm. none of them must have master sets. When I was a kid, I remember having binders of cards. Like now it just must be absolutely impossible. And again, I feel bad that they don't have those smaller sets that are probably a lot more enjoyable. Um, these huge sets are just to me unachievable. Mm -hmm. And like you say, you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars um, to get there and you're not going to jump on the secondary market and if you do you're just wasting money mm -hmm. but a lot of people do it because they want to be the first to have it but then you're just you know there's no point to that you are literally burning your money yeah. um, in that aspect and it's just I just feel like surely they're going to hit their limit soon because I feel like the last couple of sets we've been getting bigger and bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. And I'm just hoping they've realized, right, too much now. Let's go back in the other direction because it is just too much, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that really um, transpires when you see a massive set like Fusion Strike. I think it's also due to the fact that the Japanese equivalents are coming out so often. I mean, if we think we have a bunch of sets in English, you look at Japanese where, I mean, there's sets and products and, and items coming out, it seems like almost every month over there. Mm. And so what we do in the rest of the world is that we, we bring all of that together, right? We want to make sure that we have the Espeon VMAX card from the Evolutions box. And so it's like, okay, we got to pull this card from this product. And we want to make sure that we have the high class deck Gengar and Inteleon. And we want to have all of these things in this set. And before you know it, once you've pulled something like Fusion Arts together or with Evolving Skies, you've pulled Blue Skystream, uh, Sky, uh, Sky Scraping Perfection, you pulled all of these together, you know, you're well over 250 cards yeah. every single time.
Yeah, and I think that's the problem. Every time, like you say, it's pulling it all together and then ending up with these absolutely huge sets. It just, I mean, I don't have many um, myself, like master sets of a lot of the, the modern mm-hmm. sets that have come out recently. But yeah, they are absolutely massive. And when I saw the uh, the number on Fusion Strike, I was a bit like, oh my goodness, surely not. <laughs> so so what do you think? I mean, if it, if it were up to you, if, if, if Chloe was at the head of the Pokemon company, and you said, hey, this is what I think would be would be best. How would you release it? Would we limit the amount of sets that are released each year? Would we just try to limit the amount of cards in the sets? What do you I think, think would it be? would be a bit of both. But for me personally, I think at the moment it's hard to keep up with everything that's coming out. And then everything that is coming out is so huge. I think we're just getting it in both areas. We're getting it from both directions. And I just think for me personally... I'd put a cap on both of them. I know some people love the huge set, especially if they play the gate, the actual card game as well, obviously, but I'm a collector, um, Mm -hmm. so it's different. Um, I would personally limit the number of cards. You know, it wouldn't be 280. And I also would um, limit the amount that comes out in the space of time it comes out. Like I said, we haven't even got Fusion Strike yet. We already know about Brilliant Stars. I feel like two minutes ago we had celebrations. Then we had Evolving Skies the other week. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's like an overload. And don't get me wrong, there's some great sets that have come out, great cards, but bit too much at once for me personally some people might like that some people might like the excitement of everything going on but i think we're just a little we're getting a bit um oversaturated with it i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no I, I i totally agree and that's really the consensus that i get from a lot of other people in the community is let's just because typically on any given year we're, we're gonna have about three or four mainline sets and then maybe a subset that that's thrown in there which i don't think is that bad um, you know, over the course of a whole year, but let's try to go back to Wizards of the Coast era where we had, you know, some of these less than a hundred cards in the entire set. I think that would, you, you know, when I look at something and I, and I think of really cool sets, you know, I liked that fact about like Shining Fates where it was small. I think of like the Dragon Vault, um, a lot of these sets where there was less than a hundred cards and those are a lot of fun. You, you have a chance to complete a master set or even 150 cards. You have a chance to complete a master set. You can have a chance to get those chase cards. And uh, and then also a set like our uh, Vivid Voltage where that Pikachu was actually really difficult to get. Have those cards in there that are in fact really hard to find. Those, are, those yeah. should be the chase cards that are really hard to find and that continue that chase for the collectors. I think that that's really how it used to be um, back in the day. And uh, I'm, so, I'm sounding like an old timer back, back <laughs> in my day. But uh, I, I always found that really appealing as, as a child where I could put my binder together and, uh, you know, I didn't need a, uh, a storage tote to, to contain all Literally, of my cards. Yeah. I, could, I could just put them all in a binder. Uh, whereas now it's like, I mean, my, my closets in my house are just, just <laughs> packed full of loose, loose cards from, yeah, from various bulk. sets. So it's, um, it's crazy, but I think that definitely that would be the way to, uh, rectify it. Yeah, definitely. And I just think it would make it more enjoyable for a lot of people. Like I said, I know there are people out there that do quite enjoy having so many cards in the set and having it all come out at once. But for me, definitely, I think if it all slowed down and was a little bit more manageable, um, I think it would be 
a little bit better in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, Chloe, I think now I'd like to uh, go ahead and turn it over to the chat. I think there's a lot of members of the. Uh, there I'm, I'm gonna call them. I'm gonna call them the Chloe clan here. We, we won't <laughs> refer to them as the Chloe cult, uh, but they. I think they're itching to uh, ask you some questions, and I think there's yeah. also other members of the community. Real quick here, I want to give a few shout outs. I did see some super chats that came through. Uh, first off, Michael Miranda, thank you so much uh, for your super chat. We also had, I think I think I saw Pokey Dean in here as well. So shout out to yeah, him. Yeah, Pokey Dean is a good friend of mine. Uh, great fishing mod, Sean. Thank you for your super chat. Uh, Pokemon Radar. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Thank you for that super chat as well. Uh, Michael Miranda again. This uh, is he. I I think I've seen him. He in is several. one of my moderators. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I thought I'd seen him <laughs> in a lot of your uh, live streams. Uh, Chloe's mod, Sean. Yeah, he's another good one in there. So thank you guys all so much uh, for the super chats and for joining in here tonight. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the chat at this point and uh, let you guys ask any questions that you would like, either of myself or of Chloe or yeah. of both of us. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll kind of run from there. I'm just trying to have a look at the comments as well. I can see so many people from my channel in here. I see I that Pat Flynn is in the house. Guys. Omash as well. What's going on, guys? Hi, guys. Slumber party at Pokey Chloe's for World GS Radar. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got one. Shadowless Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Dimes. What is your favorite set? Um, of all time, it would be Legendary Collection. Um, that is just, yeah. I know that is a very Marmite set. People love it or hate it. For me, mm -hmm. I loved it. I remember a lot of people saying to me when they were younger, they had Legendary cards and they thought they were fake because the reverse hollows were so crazy looking. Mm -hmm. And so many people must have been so many cards. And looking back, that's painful to think about. But yeah, Legendary, I think, is my favorite all-time set. Um, and then if I was to say a modern set, I just have to say Hidden Fates because I just love opening it on the channel. We get some incredible hits from it as well. Mm -hmm. So something, you know, a bit more relevant, um, a little bit newer there as well. Love Legendary Collection. Talk about a set that was so analogous, I think, to Evolutions in the sense that people like loved it and then hated it. And I think it, Legendary Collection, people hated it for the longest yeah. time. And now it's one of the most coveted sets out there. Yeah. It seems to go that way with a lot of sets, definitely. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Raise your hand if you are a fan of Pokey Chloe. Should be getting <laughs> a lot of hands up there. Thank you, guys. Uh, da, da, da. If you see any that come across... Yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm scrolling through the chat now as well. And, uh, Omash, this is Pokenabs Live. I just saw him ask if this is mine or yours, but this is definitely. So Pokey Dean, would like to hear your thoughts of what you think is going to happen with slabs uh, now that we are seeing a lot of them returning. The deluge of slabs. <laughs> so this is an interesting one. I see a lot of people talk about this. Um, 
Obviously, in the hype, PSA got absolutely inundated with cards, especially on their bulk service. So much so, they obviously had to close and stop accepting submissions on pretty much every service apart from the very, very top level, which, you know, you're talking as, you know, thousands to grade your cards. So you're not going to be sending in your modern bulk on that level. Um, so I think, obviously, what we're going to see now is we are going to see hundreds if not thousands of the same cards flood the market especially with a lot of the modern sets that were out around that time when all of that happened mm. um and i'm already starting to see us be like even on people's instagram stories um you know getting their returns and they are getting their boxes from uh from psa or back through their middlemen because there was a middleman service a lot of people used here in the uk um so I think we're going to see a lot of cards, you know, kind of plummet in that aspect, just because there is going to be so many available. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to have too many, mm -hmm. I think, is the uh, is the answer to that. I'm interested to see what happens with, quote unquote, you know, people always say, well, you know, the populations, high population cards. And I, I think that's all relative, right? Like what yeah. would it necessarily constitute a high pop card? Because I think it's all about supply and demand. Like if there is a card that otherwise would seem like it has a high population, but there's such a high demand for that, it, I think it's all it's all really relative. I think it's relative. I think, you know, like you say, if there's such a high demand for it, I don't think that card's going to struggle, especially price-wise as well on certain cards. I think if people want it, people are going to pay for it. Whereas if there's cards that people start desiring less just because there's more of them available, mm -hmm. um, obviously they're going to get more effective. But there's always going to be cards that are high pop, but are just super popular and people love them regardless. So I don't right. always think the pop will, you know, um, converse in that aspect with some mm -hmm. cards. Definitely. We've got one here from Omash. Do you have a single favorite memory regarding Pokemon? Um, for me, it is sitting in the playground as a kid. Um, and when you think back to everything you just used to put on the floor, we used to have our cards all over the floor. And I cringe inside thinking about scraping them across the playground. And when I found some of my childhood binders, the state of some of my cards, I don't know how they ever got that bad. But for mm. me, it is really a sitting there as a kid with my friends, trading, getting all our binders out, bringing them into school. I remember Pokemon caused so much chaos, especially in a lot of the schools here. They banned it. They yeah. were like, we cannot yeah. have anyone else bringing Pokemon cards in. Kids used to be fighting each other physically in the playground yeah. over it. Um, so yeah, to me, it just brings back all those childhood memories. And obviously, like I said, with my brother, we collected, we thought about it as well ourselves, but we enjoyed it. So I think it is a real childhood, you know, nostalgic memory for me mm -hmm. no definitely it was the same way over here in the states as well um we had it written into the school handbook that pokemon cards <laughs> were not allowed on campus uh which is pretty crazy no no guns no alcohol no pokemon cards. No pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious uh ff pokenick uh, are you looking forward to brilliant stars um, again, I feel like with, all, I, I said it when I was opening my fusion strike earlier, um, I don't try and watch too many opening videos or look into it too much when a new set comes out, because I like to get it myself and kind of experience it myself. I feel like when you see all the leaks and you see all, you know, those spoilers of people who managed to get that product from God knows where mm -hmm. open it early. I just think like, 
oh, well, it's kind of, you know, the anticipation then fat lines of it. I kind of want it in my hands. I want to open it myself and experience it myself for the first time. But obviously we're getting that Charizard. So yeah, I am excited. I'm excited to see what it's like. And the ETBs look great as well. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it brings. But again, I'm not going to sort of spoil it for myself too much, I don't think. Yeah, I try to do the same thing. I, I used to do a lot of uh, like news type ep- episodes where like, you know, the latest news that was dropped. And I started to, I, I really got away from that because I felt like, you know what, like I'm just, I'm always up to date with it, and which is great, but then it spoils it. By the time a set comes out, I feel like I've experienced it a thousand times over. And yeah, it's, no, it's that's how I am. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it ruins it a little bit. Um, Shadowless, uh, who is the Shadowless oh, Pokemon Dimes asks again, what do you think about other grading companies after PSA Beckett prices come down? Um, I think it's a hard one here in the UK, obviously, you know, Beckett, CGC, PSA, all in the USA here in the UK, we didn't really have any, you know, grading companies. Everyone used PSA. We use middleman services a lot of the time to get our cars to PSA. Then when the whole, you know, closure thing happened because they got inundated, prices went up, grading companies started popping up left, right and center. Um, I'm not sure what the future looks like for some of them. Once PSA, you know, in the future, whenever that might might be, starts accepting, you know, the bulk and et cetera again. Um, it's a hard one. I think if a grading company, you know, starts and, it, you know, comes out of nowhere and is new, I think they just need to, be consistent and just remain true to whatever their brand is and work on that um, and stick around for the long run. Because at the end of the day, you can't buy PSA's reputation. They've been around for years. You're not going to open up. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much experience you have. You're not going to open up a company and suddenly be PSA or even Beckett, for example. Um, So yeah, I think it will be an interesting one to see what happens with those smaller companies, maybe that people are using now when um, PSA, for example, does open up that lower service level um, Mm -hmm. and accept more cards again in the future. Yeah, they're, they're coming in droves. I, I swear it's kind of like the dot-com bubble of the early yeah. 2000s. That's the uh, uh, grading companies where just so many people uh, trying to jump on that bandwagon and create new companies. You know, some may be around for the long term, you know, and yeah. I think it's all about offering something unique that already isn't being offered um, yeah. through PSA, Beckett, CGC, the the bigger companies. Yeah, I agree. Fenwick, uh, and this is a question I'm sure everybody is wondering, uh, do you ever feel the Pokemon market will return back to normal pre, we'll say pre-Logan Paul break, whatever <laughs> whatever normal is to you? Yeah. Do you know what? I don't even know what normal is anymore, um, especially after the pandemic and the past mm-hmm. couple of years we've had. I think the whole anything being normal, I almost can't remember what life used to be like. You know, yeah. everyone has adapted to this whole um, new normal, I think. I don't know. I think with the Pokemon market, it is a market that goes up and down quicker than a lot of things in the world. Um, And it goes up as quickly as it comes back down with certain cards, certain sets, etc. It's almost impossible to tell what's going to happen. And you never know. The next Logan Paul might get involved and then it all of a sudden goes. Do you know what I mean? There's just there's almost no way to tell. And especially as big as it is, anything could happen, I think. Yeah. 
No, I, I think so. And that's the unique thing about Pokemon is it's going to weather all kinds of different uh, periods of time. It's going to weather the highs and the lows. It's an umbrella company, so it's always going to have new games, new products coming out that will always keep people interested. And uh, all it takes is, you know, something like a pandemic and a big, <laughs> uh, larger-than-life character like Logan Paul to just, you know, completely blow it off the rails. Uh, Northwoods collectors, overall, do you think uh, these huge sets are going to cause people to lose interest in Pokemon uh, with the inability to complete their own master sets uh, without huge cost? Um, again, it's a hard one. I think it will put some people off. Um, it might push some people, say, if they're getting into Pokemon and they attempt modern and they think it's too much i don't know where to start might push them back to more the vintage era you know back with watsy etc um and again with kids i don't know how many kids these days put together master sets you know how many play are rather than collectors but um it's a hard one for me personally it does put me off you know even trying to collect some of these um, modern sets like i said I, most of my binders and master sets are more vintage sets but um it it's the cost aspect, I think, and the time as well. You have to, you've got to be committed to it. So I yeah. think some people definitely probably will be put off by uh, both, both of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see something as uh, like Fusion Strike as that if you're a player, you're going to, you're going to create the deck that you need out of the cards that you need from Fusion Strike. Yeah. For the collectors out there, you're going to you're going to have fun. You're going to open up packs um, and then the cards that you really want. Um I would recommend wait a month, two months, and uh, and then see where prices are at, and then you know go out and just you 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 will spend a far, far less money just buying those yeah. cards individually. Yeah, patience is a important thing. <laughs> very strong virtue in this environment. <laughs> a couple shout outs here. Uh, that lab Frank uh, really appreciate the comment and the super chat. Uh, Maxwell D. Uh, again, great fishing mods, uh, Sean. Looks like we got rid of the uh, troll in the in the chat thanks to uh, fishing mod. He he was on it. I can see why he's your mod. Yeah. I, I, I made <laughs> some him of them are brilliant. <laughs> oh man, I I made him the mod in here, and he had that taken care of in no time flat. So <laughs> kudos to him. Uh, Maxwell D, here's a good question, and also appreciate the super chat. Uh, what do your spouses think of your collections? I'll let you answer this one first. Okay. I am very lucky. My husband is as Pokemon crazy as me. Um, so I think if he wasn't, I certainly wouldn't have a room that looks like this. He probably would have divorced me by now, probably not even married me in the first place. <laughs> um, I'm lucky. And it's nice because it's something we can do together. Um, when I need help with anything, whether it even just be, you know, like, cause I have my website now and I do all my streams. It's a lot for me to do on my own. He steps in, he helps me. And it's great because he understands it all. He knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's kind of something, even though for me, it's now become like, you know, it's my business as well as my hobby. Mm -hmm. um, it still doesn't feel like work to me. I still enjoy it. And it's nice that we can enjoy something like that together as well. Yeah, and that's awesome. That it's it's so cool that you guys both really enjoy Pokemon, and uh, you both had those passions, you know, prior to you starting a YouTube yeah. channel. My my wife, on the other hand, had no kind of recollection of Pokemon, no interest in it <laughs> whatsoever. I, I think if I would have started like a uh, Bachelor or Bachelorette YouTube channel, she would have been all for it. You know, she would have loved that. 
<laughs> but um, she it, it's certainly grown on her. And I think more than anything, um, when we first met, she just saw how how much I enjoyed it, how much joy it really brought me, the nostalgia of it. When I would tell her stories of when I was young, I, I lived in a really small town um, in northeastern Arizona, uh, which is where I'm from here in the States. And uh, we had no card stores. We had nowhere to get Pokemon cards, uh, which was saying a lot in the late 90s because practically everywhere had them, but yeah. not my town. So I had to drive 20, mi 20 minutes to the nearest town, and my grandma would always take me on the weekend. And we would drive over, we would buy some packs, and she'd always tell me I had to wait wait till I got home to open them, but we, we didn't make it you know two minutes in the car and I was cracking them open. But I can remember those experiences and, and getting really cool cards and sharing that with her. And her and I still talk about that today. And I think my wife sees that and she sees how much it how much joy that it brings me. And so she's gotten more into it, at least uh, you know, to kind of appease me. If, if nothing yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, I think if they can see you enjoy it, it definitely uh, it definitely helps. Like when I first started, obviously my parents obviously knew that me and my brother were into it as a kid. We obviously still had a lot of our collection in the loft, but they kind of couldn't understand why I was getting back into it. And it kind mm -hmm. of took them a long time to sort of realize. And now they watch my YouTube, they watch my live streams. And even though they have no idea what I'm talking about, they enjoy it because they see that I enjoy it. So I think that's uh, what's important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it also helps that, uh, you know, when I back in like 2017 or so when I was, uh, you know, selling cards for a certain price and we were able to get, uh, you know, some nice things, she was OK with that as well. That helps. Yeah, <laughs> that certainly helps. <laughs> so it can't be a live chat question without I see some people have asked about MetaZoo and I know you're okay. all in on Pokemon. But I, I don't think there's been a single guest of mine that I ha that the question hasn't come up about MetaZoo. So I at least have to get your your cursory response to MetaZoo. So I don't know if you can see, but behind uh, me. Yeah. Oh, no. Yep. Yeah, I am pointing in the right direction. Yep, I think. <laughs> yeah, I've got um, it's not mine. I'm going to say that now because MetaZoo is something I haven't really personally delved into. I see it everywhere. You know, there's a lot of people getting involved. It's getting a lot bigger now. Um, my husband is the MetaZoo king in this house. Mm -hmm. um, he's got a Kickstarter. He's got a few. I know, I know what the Kickstarter box is because he talks about it all the time. <laughs> and it's, it's on the display at the moment. Um, so, yeah, he has a few MetaZoo boxes himself. But for me, it's just not something... To be honest, I almost don't have the time at the moment to do anything else other than what I'm doing. But um, yeah, it's it's on my backdrop. So it's definitely infiltrated its way into my collection <laughs> somehow. But that's definitely my husband's thing um, that I just let him get on with. And I think he's sort of, you know, slowly collecting a few boxes, opening some packs. But I haven't got into it myself too much. Have Is it something that you've um, delved into? Well, uh, recently, um, so the the, the PokéNav brand, um, as well as a couple of my other other businesses um, have uh, have gotten on with uh, Golden Distribution, who is the preferred distributor for MetaZoo. So right. um, I'm at, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to working with them and kind of seeing where MetaZoo goes. Um, you know, for me, I like the I, it's it's kind of a 
again, talking about the, a love-hate, this juxtaposition here. Um, <laughs> I love the themes of MetaZoo. I love the cryptids. I love the the mythological cre- uh, creatures, the beasties. Like, And the upcoming set next year, uh, MetaZoo UFO, I really love that. I've always been interested in the paranormal, the UFO, all that good stuff. Okay, yeah. So that is, is fascinating to me. Um, I've told people before, if they come out with a... Uh, uh, Molder and Scully from X Files. If they come out with that in MetaZoo, I'll, I'll be all in. It, it, I'll, I'll convert the channel to uh, MetaNav at that point. But uh, but I love the themes of it. The artworks leave a lot to be desired on the cards themselves. And being a finance guy and looking at things like the expected value, when you look at the price of MetaZoo boxes versus the the value of the contents on the inside. There's definitely a uh, incongruity there, um, which I think is a little concerning for its long-term livelihood, especially from an investing standpoint. Um, But I think that there's a lot to be determined right now with MetaZoo. I think it certainly has potential. I know that they have um, plans to really turn it into an umbrella company like Pokemon. Uh, with shows and and toys and all different things. So I think the potential is certainly there. Um, It's just whether they can really execute on that, get it in players' hands, get it in more people's hands so it's not so expensive, it's not so exclusive. And I think that's the real proving ground right now. Yeah, yeah. It's not something I've dipped into yet, but maybe maybe my husband will convince me at some point. Well, um, I think think that's going to do it i think it's always it's always a good way to leave off it with a pokemon podcast on metazoo right yeah. <laughs> straight to the point that's right that's, that's right. what we're here for <laughs> but uh chloe i want to thank you so much uh for being here today uh before we sign off here and uh and let everyone go i want to give you the opportunity to share with the audience with everyone um all of your channels, your social media channels, YouTube, where they can find you, and then uh, anything that uh, they can be looking forward to that you have on the horizon. Sure, yeah. So um, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's Pokey Chloe, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, and a lot of my, a lot of the guys in the chat will know, um, but we've got a couple of exciting things coming up. We've got a first edition team rocket break on the 28th of November really looking forward to that one um and then towards the end of the year around christmas i'm doing a supreme victors break on my channel i think it's the 18th of december and then my friend pokey dean who was in the chat asking some questions earlier he's actually asked me to go on his channel um he's been on my channel quite a few times um He's asked me to go on his channel for his first Watsy break. Um, so I'm really honored to be asked to be involved with that. So if you guys head over to pokeydean.com um, and I'm pokeychloe.com. Again, we're very simple, straight to the point. Um, we're doing a first edition gym challenge break on his channel. So quite awesome. a few exciting boxes coming up. Um, but yeah, that's who I am and that's where to find me. And I just want to say thank you to you as well for having me on. Um, I've loved doing this because it's very different from what I do on my channel. Just getting to talk with people about the... The hobby normally i'm just opening packs and the room is a mess whereas tonight is a lot more chilled out and uh no it's been great thank you very much well i i truly appreciate it truly appreciate it and i truly appreciate the uh again i'm gonna i'm gonna call them i'm gonna patent this now so if it if <laughs> this, this is it now if the if the chloe clan becomes the official <laughs> the official logo of uh of the subscribers in the community of your channel 
You guys, you guys heard it here first. This is where it started. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to thank all of your community for joining in today. Again, a very strong community and uh, appreciate all the questions and uh, for everybody joining in. And uh, I think that will do it, guys. Again, big thank you to you, Chloe. I'll let you get to bed. I know it's starting to get uh, a little late over there in the UK. <laughs> it's uh, 20 to 10 now, so it's not too bad at the moment. Oh, but see, it's, you guys uh, use that military time over there too, which also confuses me. Oh, so ten forty. There we go. That's that. That's more <laughs> that's, like it. that's better. <laughs> but guys, again, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you to you, Chloe. And other than that, we will see you all next time right here on the Pokemon Masterclass. Take care, everybody.